near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, and also the music album, Home. Today we're going to share what I would call a shared death experience, or what I would consider to be a shared death experience from enderf.org. This is Paul, and Paul says... During my childhood, I had a very close relationship with my father. He showed me all my world and taught me how it worked, at least how he believed it worked. I admired and followed my father. I respected him and felt like he was more than a father, but also a friend in whom I could put all my trust in absolute safety. In 1971, when I was 12, he developed a diabetes It was an overwhelming disease for him, since he loved snacks, especially chocolate ice cream. In those years, diet ice cream didn't exist as it does today. I witnessed his struggle against reality, convincing himself he'd know when he had to stop eating the forbidden foods like cereals and sugar drinks. The results were catastrophic. During the 15 years he survived his diagnosis, he was seriously ill and admitted into the hospital several times. He was refused any suggestion to change his habits and disguised his reasoning with a pseudoscientific assertion. His diabetes didn't behave as usual adult diabetes, and it happened to be a late-onset juvenile diabetes, type 1 diabetes. Although this is a medical oddity at his age, the diabetes advanced in long strides, and it didn't excuse him for his eating behavior. After ten years of diabetes evolution, his retina was so severely compromised that he had to be laser-treated. I lovingly treasured our long talks about scientific and philosophical issues, They were top-level ones, really. He was an extremely cultured person who loved to read at an academic level despite being a public employee without complete university training. How much he missed his reading ability when his retina gave out. In mid-1986, I was working at the coastal town of Cancun, a couple hours from Santiago, the capital of Chile. This is where all of my family lived. During a weekend in Santiago, I decided to take my father to the hospital for a leg injury that had become infected. I returned to Cancun 
and kept in contact with the doctor who took care of him at the hospital. Eventually, the leg injury was the least important thing. The focus was in the great diabetes imbalance he had. That was the very reason why he had to remain at the hospital during the whole week, trying new schemes and life ta- timetables for his insulin doses and trying to convince him he had to respect the diet. He needed to follow the diet, not according to his ideas, but according to what scientific evidence showed. At the same time, I had an uncle living all alone in the city of Vigna del Mar, quite close to Cancun, suffering from terminal stomach cancer. A mom's sister offered to take care of my uncle during his last days. The day before my uncle moved to my sister's house, my father's health was so good at the hospital that I decided to travel to help my uncle's move. That very morning, I had a talk with the doctor who was in charge of my father, and he told me, Your dad is so fine that I'm waiting for tomorrow's morning sugar levels. If that's normal, he can go home next morning. That strengthened my decision to go to Vignor del Mar. My uncle's move was very exhausting. A cousin and a friend of his worked hard with me, carrying my uncle's belongings. That night, I learned that my dad's sister had seen my dad that very afternoon. He was to be discharged next morning, and he had told her that he was so fine that he noticed that his vision was improved. He also told her that he was committed to the diet and, eventually, that he was very happy. I went to bed with these good news and fell down on my bed so exhausted that I didn't even take my clothes off. I seldom remember such a refreshing sleep like that one I had that night. However, that early morning I had a very weird experience. I feel I lived that, not as a dream, even though it might seem one. I opened my eyes. It had to be around 6 a.m. It was still dark, like night. In total calm, the next idea to come into my mind was... My father is leaving, and I couldn't say goodbye to him. Within the calmness surrounding me, this knowledge was absolute. I didn't wonder how I knew it. I simply knew it. I didn't ask myself about, how did I get that information if he was so fine and he was being discharged that very morning from the hospital? I clearly understood that leaving directly meant leaving this world. It was in that moment I decided to go to the hospital. It wasn't necessary to get up and go catch a taxi. I was already at the hospital. I was seeing a corridor that I didn't recognize. There were many open rooms on each side. It was night, the same time I woke up. There was nobody on sight at the corridor. I came into one of the open rooms and I saw my dad sitting in a hospital bed. It wasn't the room where I had seen my dad last I saw him. His sight was peaceful, brilliant, and happy. The way my aunt had described him when she left the hospital last afternoon. I don't remember saying any words. We looked at each other with so much love. Then I took his hand and bid him farewell 
with a mutual mannish and tight handshaking, encircled by a great love that illuminated us. Then I'm back on my bed. Mission completed. I fell asleep again. About 9 a.m., the phone ringing woke me up. An only idea crossed my mind. My dad has died. They will tell us he got worse. We have to see him. But I know that he already left some hours ago. I had already said goodbye to him. I hear my mother getting up and answering the call. I'm ready to get up. One minute later, my mother comes into my room and says, Your dad got worse last night. They want us to go see him. I was ready at the drop of a hat. I already knew the complete story. A great peace surrounded me. I didn't feel despair. I wasn't in angst. I was happy for him, and because I had been able to say goodbye to him. I knew he didn't feel any distress except the concern of leaving without saying goodbye to me. Love allowed us the miracle of saying goodbye in the most intimate way and even better than if I had gotten up and physically gone to the hospital that morning. My father's body was still alive, but they were working to confirm if he was or was not in a brain-dead state. He was found about 5 a.m. in a deep coma with great breathing distress. He had experienced a massive cerebrovascular accident due to a corroded thromboembolism while he was peacefully sleeping. Without delay, he was rushed into the intensive care unit. I went to the intensive care unit and they drove me to see my dad. I had to wear a green robe, a pair of green cloth boots, a green cap, and a face mask to be allowed to see him. All of a sudden, I saw myself at the same corridor where I had already been early that morning. I came to the same open room, and I saw my father's bed in the same orientation I had seen it that early morning. The only difference was that his body lay totally loose on it, connected to a huge number of tubes and cables, going into a series of machines and monitors. From his mouth appeared a tube connected to a hose, which periodically injected oxygen into his lungs. He couldn't even breathe on his own. Just like in my vision, I shook his hand, and I physically said goodbye to him. Then I left the room without fear, without pain, and in absolute calm. They performed two electroencephalograms with both of them totally flat. They carried out an radiography whose report would be within 24 hours, but my colleague, I was already a doctor then, who had to write down the report, showed me the images, and he told me one half of Dad's brain was already dead, and the other half was badly working. Nobody could live like that. There was enough criteria to pronounce a brain's death. Some days later, his body finally died. I scarcely cried. When I did, it was for myself and for my aunts, not for him. My mother was strong and spiritually elevated enough to be able to resist crying. 
She had a strong belief in afterlife. I really didn't feel torn or hurt inside, as I used to believe I'd feel when my daddy died. I felt sure he'd left, having said goodbye to his only child, that somehow amidst the morning blues, we had met and said goodbye. Obviously, after I got up that morning, I was wondering how could all of this be? How could I be so certain that my father had gone, even though his body was hardly alive in the intensive care unit? But I didn't have the smallest clue about how these things went on. A dream is built from certain information, and all the objective information I had showed my father was fine, and he had to leave home that very morning. I had nowhere in my mind from which I could build up such a weird dream. The certainty about what I lived and knew was such that there was no plausible explanation. Yet somehow, I had connected mind to mind with my father in an altered state before the final separation from his own body. There's no doubt that he must have looked for me and carried me to say goodbye when he realized he wasn't going to come back. Almost two years later, the night before my wedding, I had a dream. I was climbing a hill in what we call in Santiago the pre-hills range of Los Andres. Halfway up, I saw a man wearing a very distinguished jacket and looked very elegant. A really strange view on a dirt road hill. He came down in my opposite direction. As I got closer, I realized he was my father, but younger. He was about 30 or so years old. However, he carried a different sight, a happy one, as I had never seen in his eyes. It was my father coming down the hill in full of joy in the heavens to be with me on my wedding. And that is the end of Paul's account. You know, these kinds of experiences are more common than we sometimes let on, and we don't hear about them as much simply because people say, oh, I had this lovely dream, or oh, I had this lovely, you know, feeling. Um, and there are, you know, people will call it premonitions or, or, you know, some kind of hint that something is going to happen. But these are shared death experiences. They're experiences where we actually make a spiritual connection with a loved one as or right before they pass. And I'm convinced that even in this example where Paul has this experience of saying goodbye to his dad and then his dad's body lives on a few more days, that it was at five in the morning, six in the morning, whatever, that his father actually left his body. And that his body, being broken as it was, yet still functioning, continued to heartbeat with a, you know, that ragged breath, with the help of machines, continued for a few days. But I don't think the spirit was in the body. And uh, I think it really was a goodbye. And I guess in in uh, terms that would make more sense, really, it was a see you soon. 
but it also gave Paul's father an opportunity to feel okay with leaving his only son behind, his only child, and he probably was feeling like, I can't leave until I say goodbye to my son. And physically, he couldn't do it. it, it his, his spirit wouldn't stay, basically. But uh, he did manage to have a shared death experience where he had this spiritual connection with his father. And in the dream, where he shook hands in, in a very meaningful way with his father, being filled with love and filled with, with um, peace, he was able to say goodbye before leaving. That sense of saying goodbye seems to be a common element in these experiences, and whether it's at a hospital prior to their death, or in a dream or some other sense, it's very real, and it seems to be very much connected with how and when a person dies. Now, I should say, one of my concerns about sharing these kinds of experiences is that many who hear them may think, well, why didn't I, why couldn't I have this connection with my mother when she died? Why couldn't I have this connection with my spouse when she died or whatever? There's often this feeling of, why couldn't I have that experience? And to be fair, or to be honest, I don't know what the answer is in terms of why some people have these experiences and others don't. But there does seem to be a connection to a level of calmness around it. I don't know if it's that spirits have a hard time connecting with a distressed individual or if it's simply that um, the distressed individual is very distracted by their own distress, by their grief and their, and their, um, you know, impassioned uh, feeling of loss. I don't know, but it does seem that. Cause, I mean, it, he describes here. He's saying it as a way of, of uh, saying that there's no way I could have known my father was going to die, but I read it also as a way of saying. I was in a calm state. I had no fear for my father's life. I was in a state where I was reachable. I mean, I guess he's not saying this, but you could say that he was probably in a state where he was spiritually reachable. Even going to bed that night, he was very calm and exhausted from the day's work, but uh, but so tired that he it was a very refreshing sleep, as he described it. So he's relaxed, he's at peace, and so when his father reaches out to him in this way, he's able to reach him. And it, that's not to say, you know, don't mourn, don't be in distress at the death of a loved one. First off, can't always help it. There are physical and emotional and psychological reflexes that take place at the news of, of trauma of that type. And sometimes you just can't help it. But the other side of it is that I would say is we absolutely should mourn at the death of loved ones. I'm a little bit concerned about his <laughs> his mother 
who he says, my mother was strong and spiritually elevated enough to be able to resist crying. I don't think that's necessarily healthy. I think we should allow ourselves to cry. We should allow ourselves to mourn. But for having these specific kinds of experiences where we make these connections, sometimes it takes a peaceful state of mind. That doesn't mean you have to be at peace every moment, you know, during the mourning process. But it could mean that in the midst of your mourning, take time to be at peace. And those connections can take place. It might not be in a dream. It might not be in a vision or some kind of open experience. But it could be in meditation. It could be in prayer. It could be in a quiet moment, just taking a few moments when you're feeling calm to think about the individual and try to feel their presence. And chances are, that presence will be there. And if you take the time to speak the words that you would want to say to them, if you feel like you want to, to say goodbye, if you feel like you want to get some things off your chest that you feel have always needed to, to get some closure on some things, do it. Because that connection will happen. And... That's not to say don't feel emotion around it, because once you make that connection, the emotions that come will be honest and true and raw and pure. And that's a good thing, because the connection will have been made. But approaching it in calmness, in with a level of peace, if only for a short time, can allow you to have that connection, even if there is not a quote-unquote, experience involved in it. At least that's what I read in the experiences that I've read and, and studied. It seems that that connection can happen at any time. And it's not just limited to the time of their death. It can happen years later. But uh, obviously, the sooner it happens, the more it will be of benefit to you personally, feeling that sense of closure, feeling that sense of being able to properly say goodbye. And how that happens for you, it's going to be different for every person. That's why you have people talking at gravesides. That's why you have people, you know, um, speaking at favorite, you know, shared locations, maybe a favorite mountain range or, you know, mountain peak or something where, where you feel connected to that individual in some way. Um, it's not necessarily that they're hanging out there or anything. It's rather that you feel close to them there. You're at peace while you're there. And being at peace and being in that state, you can make a connection with them. Your loved ones are not gone. They're still there. And they still love and feel connection with you. They're in a different state, and it's a state that you will be in someday, and you'll be able to connect it with them and reunite with them in a way that even if they were to return in physical form, it goes way beyond the reunions we can have in this life. So look forward to that. Don't rush it. <laughs> Wait for the proper time. But when that time comes, you'll be happy to see them again. But you don't have to wait till you get to the other side to have a last conversation, a last time.
time saying what feels like needs to be said, or in Paul's case, just a, an experience of feeling them and feeling a goodbye with them. And that's enough. And so I absolutely recommend that if you feel a distress about not having had a connection with the loved one at the time of their death, it's not too late. You can do it now. Everything I read in these near-death experiences suggests that that ability to, to make connections with our loved ones, even long after they're dead, is still, it's still possible throughout our lives. So, if you would like to contact me, to email me, you can email me at chaz at ndepodcast.org. You can help with the podcast by either purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World, or the audiobook, particularly, uh, of Life in the Spirit World, or my album, Home, which can be purchased on neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. And with that, thank you, you guys, so much again for listening.